This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Robinson Crusoe, written anew for children. By James Baldwin. Chapters 30 through 32. Chapter 30. I am happy as a king. I had now had adventures enough for a time, and I felt very happy to be at home with my goats and other pets. A few years before I had started with keeping three kids that I had caught. Now I had a herd of three and forty goats, some of them young, some old. I kept them in five little fields that I had fenced at the foot of my castle hill. I never had any lack of meat, and I had plenty of milk, too. Indeed, I had gone so far as to set up a little dairy, and sometimes my goats gave me a gallon or two of milk in a day. Before coming to the island, I had never milked a cow, much less a goat. I had never seen butter made, or even cheese, but I learned how to do everything of the kind, and now I had more butter and cheese than I could eat. After dinner it was my custom to go out for a stroll. How proud I was of my little kingdom! If you had seen me then, you would not have laughed. You would have been frightened. For a stranger-looking fellow you never saw. Be pleased to take a picture of me. On my head was a big cap made of goatskin. It was very tall and without shape. A flap hung down from the back of it to keep the rain off my neck. I wore a short jacket of goatskin and a pair of knee-breeches of the same. I had neither stockings nor shoes, but I wore around my legs and feet some queer things that I called buskins. They were made of goatskin, too, and were of great use when walking among briars or stones. Around my waist I had a broad belt of rawhide. I had no need of sword or dagger, and so I carried in this belt a little saw and a hatchet. Another belt, which hung over my shoulder, held my powder horn and shot pouch. On my back was slung a basket. On my shoulder was my gun. Above my head I carried my great, clumsy, ugly umbrella. My face was as dark as mahogany. It was tanned by the sun and browned by the hot winds. My beard was at one time a yard long, but I soon grew tired of it and cut it pretty short. Yet even then it looked grisly enough, I assure you. It is not a very handsome picture, is it? But do not blame me. I dressed as well as I could. I kept myself clean. I tried to be worthy of respect, even though no one saw me. I looked over my little kingdom, and was proud and happy. You would have laughed to see me and my family when dinner-time came. First there was myself, Robinson Crusoe, king of the island. I was the lord of everything I could see. Then, like a king, I dined alone, with my servants looking on. No one was allowed to talk to me but Paul Parrot, who sat on the back of my chair and waited for what I would give him. 
My dog was now so old and feeble that he could hardly stir. He sat always at my right hand, and wagged his tail, if I did but snap my finger. My two cats waited, one on each side of the table, to see what I would give them. These two cats were not the same that I had brought from the ship. Those were dead long ago, of old age, but they had left many kittens. Indeed, there had come to be so many cats that I was forced to drive them away. All but these two had gone into the woods, and become very wild. CHAPTER Thirty One. I LEARNED TO BAKE AND AM PROSPEROUS. I have already told you about farming, and of the difficulties under which I did my work. The thing which I wished to do most of all was to make good bread. I tried many plans, but it was several years before I could think of myself as a really good baker. My barley was very fine. The grains were large and smooth. When boiled a long time with a bit of goat's meat, they made good food. But they did not take the place of bread. Before bread could be made, the grains of barley must be ground into meal. I tried pounding them in a stone, but that was slow work. The stone crumbled into sand. My meal was worth nothing. I looked all over the island for a larger stone. All were alike. So at last I cut a large block of very hard wood. I rounded it on the outside with my hatchet. Then, partly by chopping, partly by burning, I made a hollow place in the end of it. Out of a piece of ironwood I made a heavy pestle, or beater. I had now a very good little mill. In a short time I had crushed enough barley to make meal for a large loaf. It was easy to make the dough. I had only to mix the meal with water and knead it with my hands. I must not think of yeast to make the dough light. The baking part was the main thing, and the hardest to learn. At first I put my biscuits of dough in the hot ashes and left them there until they were baked. But I did not like these ash cakes very well. Then I tried another plan. I made two large earthen vessels. They were broad and shallow. Each was about two feet across and not more than nine inches deep. These I burned in the fire till they were as hard as rocks and as red as tiles. I made also a hearth before my fireplace, and paved it with some square tiles of my own making, but perhaps I ought not to call them square. The hearth, when finished, was quite level and smooth. It was as pretty as I could have wished. Next I built a great fire of hardwood. When the wood had burned down, I raked the hot coals out upon my hearth. I left them there until the hearth was hot, through and through. My loaves of dough were all ready. I swept the hearth clean, and then put the loaves down upon the hottest part of it. Over each loaf I put one of the large earthen vessels I had made. Then I heaped hot coals on the top of the vessel, and all round the sides of it. In a short time 
I lifted the vessels and took out my loaves. They were baked as well as the best oven in the world could have baked them. By trying and trying again, I at last learned to bake almost everything I wanted. I baked cakes and rice pudding fit for a king, but I did not care for pies. I now felt quite contented and prosperous, for did I not have everything that I needed? I had two homes on the island. I called them my plantations. The first of these was my strong castle under the rock. I had enlarged it until my cave contained many rooms, one opening into another. The largest and driest of these was my storeroom. Here I kept the largest of my earthen pots. Here also were fourteen or fifteen big baskets, all filled with grain. My sitting-room was not large, but it, it was made for comfort. As for the wall in front of the castle, it was a wonderful thing. The long stakes which I had driven down had all taken root. They had grown like trees, and were now so big and so thick with branches that it was hard to see between them. No one passing by would ever think there was a house behind this matted row of trees. Near this dwelling of mine, but a little farther within the land, were my two barley fields. These I cultivated with care, and from them I reaped a good harvest. As often as I felt the need of more barley, I made the fields larger. Farther away was what I called my country seat. There was my pleasant summer house or bower where I liked to go for rest. In the middle of my bower I had my tent always set. It was made of a piece of sail spread over some poles. Under the tent I had made a soft couch with the skins of animals and a blanket thrown over them. Here, when the weather was fair, I often slept at night. A little way from the bower was the field in which I kept my cattle, that is to say, my goats. I had taken great pains to fence and enclose this field. I was so fearful, lest the goats should break out, that I worked many a day planting a hedge all around. The hedge grew to be very tall and was as strong as a wall. On the shore of the sea, some distance beyond my summer-house, was the little inlet where I had laid up my canoe. CHAPTER Thirty Two. I SEE SOMETHING IN THE SAND When the weather was fine, I often went over to the other side of the island to look at my canoe. Sometimes I spent several days at my summer-house. Then, going over to where the canoe was kept, I took short sails along the shore. These little voyages gave me a great deal of pleasure. One morning, as I was going to the canoe, a strange thing happened. I was walking slowly along and looking down, and what do you think I saw? I saw the print of a man's naked foot in the sand. The sight made me cold all over. I stood like one that had seen a ghost. I looked around. I listened. I trembled. I went to the top of a little hill to look farther. Then I walked up the shore and down the shore. 
I saw no other tracks. I went back to make sure that I was not dreaming. Yes, there in the sand was the print of a man's foot. It showed the toes, the heel, and the sole of the foot. I was not dreaming. My mind was filled with a thousand thoughts and questions. Where was the man who made that track? Who was he? How did he get there? I was so frightened that I did not go to the canoe. I turned back and went to my castle as fast as I could. Whether I went over by the ladder or through the hole in the rock, I do not know. But I shut myself up as quickly as I could, and began to get ready to defend myself. That night I could not sleep. I lay in my hammock and thought and thought. The track must have been made by an Indian or some other wild savage. This savage had come perhaps from the land that I had seen far across the sea. Perhaps he had come to the island alone. Perhaps he had come with many others of his kind. But where was he now? I was so much afraid that I did not stir out of my castle for three days and nights. I was almost starved, for I had only two or three barley cakes in my kitchen. Little by little, I became brave enough to go out again. I crept softly down to my fields to milk the goats. Poor things, they were glad enough to see me. But every sound made me start and look around. I fancied that I saw a savage behind every tree. I lived for days like some hunted thing that trembles at its own shadow. And all this because I had seen the print of a foot in the sand. Little by little I grew bolder, and I made up my mind to strengthen my castle. If savage Indians could indeed come and find me, I would be ready for them. So I carried out earth and small stones and piled them up against the castle wall till it was ten feet thick. I have already told you how strong it was at first, and how I had made a dense hedge of trees on the outside. It was now so strong that nothing could break through it. Through the walls at certain places I made five holes large enough for a man's arm to reach in. In each of these holes I planted a gun, for you will remember that I brought several from the ship. Each one of these guns was fitted in a frame that could be drawn back and forth. They worked so well in their places that I could shoot off all five of them in less than two minutes. Many a weary month did I work before I had my wall to my notion, but at last it was finished. The hedge that was before it grew up so thick and high that no man nor animal could see through it. If you had seen it, you would not have dreamed there was anything inside of it, much less a house. For two years I lived in fear. All that I did was to make my home stronger and safer. Far in the woods I built a large pen of logs and stakes. Around it I planted a hedge like that in front of the castle. Then I put a dozen goats into it to feed upon the grass and grow. If savages should come, and if they should kill the other goats, they could not find these, for they were too well hidden in the deep woods. 
All these things I did because I had seen the print of a man's foot in the sand. End of chapters 30 through 32 Read by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California for LibriVox in spring 2006